Thanks for checking out episode 57 of the Thunder Underground podcast. My name is Trent, and I'm joined by Jason. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Or morning or night, whenever you're hearing this. Yeah. Hey, if this episode was a hitting streak, it would have just broke Joe DiMaggio's record. Oh, really? Right? It's well, a 56-game streak, am I right? I'm, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't go you're, that far back with the my baseball. stats. You're the baseball guy here. Yeah, but I'm, I am I like baseball. I'm not the baseball guy. Okay. I don't know that much. I wish I did. That'd be great. <laughs> but I don't want to I don't, I don't want to best Joe DiMaggio. He's a legend. Okay. But I do That's why this... want to keep going, though. Yeah, I got you. Thankfully, this isn't a hitting streak. It's That's just right. a podcast. Yeah, it's just a podcast. So he does what he does good. We're doing what we do pretty well <laughs> it's the thunderunderground.com everything's on there if it's your first time listening get on there check us out we've got tons of previous podcasts obviously 56 of them up there we've got what else do we got we got facebook we got twitter we got instagram we got youtube periscope you can find all those links on there we're all over it yeah and this week we've got a very special episode yes. i say that because it's our first <laughs> non- traditional rock or metal person true it's shooter jennings which is amazing yeah we're very excited about this very honored that we got the chance to talk to him and we assume you're listening to this you know who he is if not he's a country musician who also delves into some other areas especially with his new work and his past few albums at least he's the son of waylon and jesse coulter Yes. And if you're the son of Waylon and Jesse Coulter, you know that you're just born a badass. That's and right. And thankfully he has lived up to it. Yes, he has. He has. Uh, you know, I, I I read a quote online earlier. Uh, somebody said that, you know, he is, uh, he he does country and then he, he delves into what he wants to delve into without, you know, tarnishing the legend or, you know, uh, you know, just deleting or, um, what's the word, uh, you know, taken away from all the other stuff that he does. Nothing ever comes off looking stupid or cheesy or, I mean, there's just integrity all the way around, whether it's this new album, which is, you know, definitely something different, or, you know, it's Black Ribbons, which was different. Um, it all makes a statement and it all makes sense. And not a lot of people can do that, and Shooter can. And uh, it was just great to sit down and talk to him. Uh, just It was natural, just a super great guy. Uh, and there's lots to say in this conversation, so it was great. Yeah, and like you said, this, this Kuntash album is real, totally outside the box for a country musician. But it's at the same time, there's two or three songs on there that sound country you know? yeah yeah and, and and if you know shooter jennings body of work over the yeah. last 12 years or so it, it's it comes as no surprise well that's what i was going to tell you it's odd when you first hear it but you never think well this is weird because yeah, exactly. it's it's shooter and you expect him to do stuff like that and that's yeah. what's great about it that's right that's right you know it makes me think uh you know we're just going to talk random here about shooter before we get into the interview it makes me think of I don't know. It was around the time that Black Ribbons came out, uh, and me, you, and Tracy went to see him in Paul Husky on July Fourth. All right. And it was just the traditional July Fourth small town block party, 
stage in the middle of the street. You Paul know, Huska, Oklahoma. Paul Huska. You know, people <laughs> bringing their lawn chairs, uh, you know, funnel cakes and, you know, food trucks and kids and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and he, he did a lot of his traditional stuff, but he went into a lot of black ribbon stuff, which is pretty spacey. And, and it kind of, I kind of threw that little town for a loop. <laughs> I think that's kind of what I got from it. And to me, that's amazing. You know, I think that that, that institution needs to be shooken up a little bit. Yeah. So I was glad to see that. And I was glad Shooter did that. And, uh, he's just a, such a diverse, um, you know, artist. And, uh, that, that's one of the reasons, you know, we dig him so much. Yeah. And I wanted to mention that, you know, like a lot of people that like heavy music, you like the outlaw country as well. Yeah. Cause it comes naturally, especially like you've mentioned before, if you grew up in this area of the country, you know, when you're growing up, you hear Cash, you know, Merle, Willie, Waylon, David Allen Coe, Chris Christopherson, et cetera. All that stuff. You hear it growing up, it just gets into you, and you can't not like it, you know, unless you're just an asshole, <laughs> because it's just great music. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, yeah. Great songwriting, exceptional. And But for me, that's just kind of where it ended. Like, I know George Strait's good. I know Garth Brooks is good. All that stuff, but I just never got into that. Yeah, it never made all that imprint like all the rest. Yeah, because then that's when I was getting into glam rock, heavy metal, everything like that, and that's just where I went with it. And I, but I still always loved Waylon Jennings and Johnny Cash and so forth. But and I would hear that on occasion, and every once in a while I'd hear something newer that I thought was a good song, but I never looked into it. Yeah. But in 2005, whenever "Busted in Baylor County" came out. It came out, I guess, as a single before the album came out. I think you sent me the MP3. Yeah, I over, over Messenger or something. You're like, here, check out this new song. It's Shooter Jennings, Waylon Son. I'm yeah, like, okay. Yeah, I I can't remember where I found the the link. I it had to have been in some news story or whatever, and I listened to it and I was blown away because it was it was rock. That that single was rock and it was loud, but it was everything we loved about that kind of, uh, you know, that section of country, you know, that we grew up on. I mean, it, it, just, it was just so statement-making for me, and it was I was so excited. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I immediately sent it to you, and we both freaked out over it. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the, that song I was, like, as excited as I was about hearing, like, a new Anthrax song or something. Oh, when yeah. I heard that, I was just like, this is, I think you said... <laughs> When we were talking about it on the drive there yesterday, it's like, this is everything that was missing that we liked. Oh, hands about, down. About yeah, country, for sure. Yeah, know? exactly. And, you know, since then, that's like, that that album, you know, Put the O Back in Country, I'll say is probably my favorite country album of all time. Wow. Over anything. Just because of how much it resonated with me. Yeah, definitely. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it's the best. I mean... You know, he would say it's not as good as a Waylon Jennings classic or something. But, <laughs> you know, it's my favorite album of all time. Yeah. You know, and then probably second is Hank 3, Straight to Hell. Because it's like <laughs> both those, are, they came out. And that's, you know, that got me back into yeah that style of music. Yeah. Even listening to the older stuff more. And, you know, delved into other stuff since then, thanks to that. Like Jamie Johnson or, you know, the Warren Brothers when they were making music. And, yeah. 
that, that oh, yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, so it's <clears throat> it's cool that you know he kind of spearheaded, I think, a revolution in country music, but n that never went mainstream, sadly. Yeah. But you know, when we get in this interview in a bit, he kind of talks about maybe it is heading that way. Yeah. Thanks yeah, to hopefully. Thanks to the Chris Stapleton, Sturgill, uh, Sturgill Simpson stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah. maybe it's helping and maybe we'll get more of a, like you said, wild, wild west type thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, for me, I think Shooter Jennings music is very special. Um, cause when, right when he came out, right when he came out, uh, you know, I freaked out and my dad being, you know, just a, a huge fan of Waylon and Merle Haggard and all that stuff, you know, I immediately had to have, you know, and that's when he was pretty sick at the time. And, you know, I immediately had to let him hear it, you know, and he kind of didn't get it because it was pretty loud, you know, but he was, he was pretty interested and he, he was, he had no idea that, you know, Waylon's son was making music and, you know, doing country. So it was just something cool that we had talked about. And so, and, you know, he passed not too long after that. So, you know, I always, when I listen to, you know, put the O back in country, uh, there's a lot of my dad in there, you know, there's a lot of those memories and a lot of, uh, you know, I think about a lot of what went on at that time. So <clears throat> that was very special. And so it just made Shooter Jennings more of a, you know, just such a special, uh, his music, such a special thing to me. And I mean, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, um, it doesn't matter if it's the Wolf or Black Ribbons or uh, this new one, Countach. It's like whatever he does, I'm there, uh, you know, in hands down. Yeah. Yeah. We've got to mention, because we didn't bring it up during the interview. We got to mention slow ride, uh, slow train, or slow train. Sorry. Well, here, here's <laughs> the thing: is like that was the one, if there was one time I was ever gonna geek out on one of these things, it was gonna be at the end, and I'm and I was gonna tell him, dude, thanks for slow train. Probably one of the best songs to ever be put down on record. And I was just so caught up in the moment and just so at ease with how the conversation went and just hanging out that I completely forgot about it till till I was on the way over here. Actually, I was gonna tell you that earlier and I forgot, yeah. but. But I mean, it, but at the same time, that just goes to show how amazing the conversation was and how down to earth and easygoing Shooter is to talk to. Because I mean, we just we just got right in it. I mean, we were talking about music, talking about other stuff, and that's really what you want. So uh, yeah, I mean, but anyways, yeah, just like you said, we got to go back and say, you know, if you haven't heard Slow Train, uh, you're doing your ears a disservice. It's got a, it's a great collaboration with him and the Oak Ridge Boys. And I mean, if you can't be happy as fuck when you hear this song, I mean, <laughs> you just must not be human. You must be from fucking Pluto or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Electric Rodeo, that whole album's great. Well, like we said, everything's great. Yeah. But oh, yeah. I was excited. You know, we did this interview Aviators, after. I fucking love that song, <laughs> yeah. dude. Yeah. <laughs> Took what was it? I took you to Waffle House and then made you walk home in the rain. That's Sorry, right. I didn't get my sense of humor. As, as like any good man would do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I took my girlfriend to Waffle House for Valentine's Day once, and, uh, but I didn't make her walk home in the rain like Shooter did. So yeah, but see, what? I don't know. You've got a fucking four leaf clover up your ass. You're the only motherfucker <laughs> I know that could take his woman to Waffle House and come out looking like fucking Thor. You know, if I did that, if I did that, I would be walking home in the fucking rain. Right. You know? 
<laughs> but anyways, back to the subject, you know. Well, we we did this interview after <clears throat> after his show and wine died. That's how yeah. you say it, right? I was wine dot, yeah. I was saying it wrong, and I know he was he said it wrong on the radio show he was doing on Sirius too. But well, I you know I I've, I've heard the name, but I just forgot. I, I was saying like wine dot. <laughs> I used to know a couple guys that were from around that area, and I'd hear him say that name all the time, and I just so I've heard it, you know. Yeah. It's up near. It's at the Oklahoma Missouri border near Seneca, Missouri, not far from Joplin. Okay, you know. we were at the Border Town Casino. Yeah, and uh, we saw the whole show and on this tour. Well, the last year his shows have been with Waymore's Outlaws, and if you're not familiar with that, that's Waylon Jennings' backup band that you know throughout his career. And this was the you know the final lineup of guys. Yeah, yeah. And they and, you know they play around even when they're not with Shooter. They yeah. got Tommy Townsend singing the all the Wayland vocals, and they they play all these songs live. Yeah, and they sound they sound badass doing it. They did an opening set. Yeah, and it sounds just like authentic Wayland. Yeah, because that's what it is, really. Yeah, and you know, like you said, they did a probably about a thirty thirty five minute set before, and they brought Shooter out. Uh, Shooter put on a great show. Uh, you know, uh, he did he did a couple new songs from Coontash. He did a. I'm left, you're right. right she's gone. gone. Yeah, that's that's a that's a great then, song. Uh, oh man, what's the one with Steve? Born, Born to, to die. die. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And uh, the other thing to mention, you know, you said they played 30, 35 minutes, and they took like fifteen minute break. Yeah, and they did came take out a and, break. Yeah, you know, he played probably an hour and a half. You know, so you're looking at over two hours with Richie Albright, who is probably it's got to be in the seventies. Yeah, because he started with Waylon. 55 years ago. Yeah, what they say in like 64 or yeah, 62 or something I like that? I think it's 61. Wow. Maybe it's 64. Wow. Either way, it's 50 plus years ago, so yeah. you know he's at least 70 something. Yeah. You know, and he was up there, sounded great through a two hour set. Yeah, I didn't you miss know, a beat, dude. You know, that's awesome to see that. And regardless, you know, it's an honor to see those guys. And live show is great. And he played Manifesto Number One, which, which is my loved. favorite. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite shooter song. Among others, there's like. 20 others that are my second favorite, so <laughs> it's not that far ahead of everything else. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was hoping to get some never-ending story. <laughs> I even let him know that was, like, probably my favorite moment from the new record. <laughs> but we didn't get it, but that's okay, because I'm going to go home and listen to it. Right. <laughs> also, we would be remiss not to mention Prince. Oh, yeah, definitely. Which is a good tie-in here, because that's how the conversation started, and... In Prince fashion, which one of the most amazing things about Prince is that he didn't give a shit and did whatever he wanted. That's right. And spent a whole career doing things exactly his way and not bowing to anything. And that's pretty much what Shooter's done. That's right. You know, maybe the first two or three albums he was under contract, but he still made amazing music. So it wasn't an issue of being forced to do something else. Yeah. And now it's obviously he's stepping outside of box and just doing it himself because he's got his own label yeah why not and yeah. you don't have to answer to anybody and it's working for him yeah so why not i mean that's the best way to go really yeah but we all know whether you're metalhead country fan pop fan rap fan <laughs> you at least like one print song yeah you know? definitely they're all great so that's a big huge loss that none of us saw coming yeah it's a very big loss and uh you know, I don't know what to say other than uh, 
you know, I need to, like I've said before, I need to find a raspberry beret <laughs> where to work tomorrow in honor. Right. But no, for real, I mean, it, it just speaks to what's been going on this year. And, uh, you know, what are we going to do when all these guys are gone? Right. You know, it, it's going to be guys like Shooter, guys with integrity and honesty that, you know, carry this stuff on and, and are continue to be people that everyone can look up to, you know, not some stupid fucking pop shit or mainstream country <laughs> horse shit, you know? Well, his, uh, the fact that, like we mentioned, he was playing, you know, when we were driving there on his, he's got a show on Sirius yeah. that he does yeah, we on Outlaw to Country on the way up there, yeah. called Electric Rodeo, <laughs> yeah. you know, owed to one of his albums. And it's, you know, he was playing, he was doing a Prince tribute and he played, there was, you know, I don't know what he played earlier. We heard like the last hour of it. It was all Prince songs. Yeah. Yeah. And nothing but Prince songs on outlaw country. Yeah. You know, and that's how wide reaching this guy had that, you know. And that's one of the most outlaw fucking things to do, isn't it? <laughs> right. You know, I forgot about I Would Die For You. That's such a great song. I totally forgot about that <laughs> song. We, I talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, do you have any other shooter memories you want to throw out there before we get into this thing? I don't think so. I mean, I think we got it all in there. It's, uh, you know, uh, this is a great conversation. I was just so grateful. Very happy to bring this to you, so check this out. different types of genres and things it's yeah. cool to be on it yeah, in the yeah mix. We're, we're trying to do some uh, all kinds of different stuff so and right on man well thanks for having me yeah, yeah, no problem thanks for doing it we're actually listening to uh your uh, show on the way over here oh Prince yeah Sons. yeah man prince that was heavy hitter that and bowie were huge both those guys were real big for me so it's a real bummer uh, i mean bowie i cried a bunch because because I, I was like 15 when i got into him and I was that was so important and then Prince I got into a little later but he was very important to me too you know just because they were dudes who both of those guys evolved constantly new albums new directions every time you know didn't stick with something like trying to please the fans so I love that about those guys yeah we we were talking about how um, that's one of those guys where you're going to remember where you were at when you were I remember where I was when I heard Bowie died, and I remember where I was when Prince died, man. I was in the stockyards of Fort Worth, man. Woke up, and about the second text I got was, oh, my gosh, Prince is dead. And I was like, what? And I was, like, so numb to all these people dying already. I mean, are we going to look back at 2016 as, like, the big culling? Like, is that the time when they got rid of all the greats all at once, you know? Yeah, he made a comment the other day. It's like the Game of Thrones of music you know, yeah, no, 2016 is yeah. the Game of Thrones yeah. of music. Yeah. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh boy. Oh boy. That's that's true. Well, I didn't know how to pronounce the album title. Countach. Yeah, Lamborghini. Lamborghini Countach. Oh, man. Okay. nice. That's nice. where that came yeah. from. Yeah. So, <clears throat> talk about that. Where the inspiration came to do a full album of that Georgia music and not just a song or two. Well, I mean, you know, okay, uh, after I got done with my record, The Other Life, like, I recorded Family Man and The Other Life 
for the most, 80% of them were all done in one session uh, in like 2017. So when The Other Life was like, we were kind of going in, I did a couple songs like Gunslinger and the first tune and finished that record. And I, I had, it was two records that I put out with this label called Entertainment One. And in the interim, I had met the Colonel John Hensley, who, who was my manager, who passed away. But he, he really taught me a lot about um, taking control print style of everything you know what i mean so he and i started a record label uh, at the end of 2013 and the uh, first thing that we were going to do originally my idea was i was going to do a uh, an entire cover of hank jr's record the new south i was like kind of that was my first idea but then when i was i was sitting around and, and at the same time i had actually for the first time, built my own home studio um, to be what I needed it to be, to be able to record at home and stuff for the first time ever, really, since I was a kid. I had like a makeshift studio when I was a kid a bunch, and when I was listening to like Nine Inch Nails and Marilyn Manson and stuff and ministry and stuff, you know. But it was the first time since then that I'd kind of built a home studio. And, and so I, I um, in the interim of all of this going on, at one point in 2012, I'd gotten a call from a guy who said he was producing George Jones's last record. And he said that he wanted me to write some songs or, or wanted to know if I had any songs laying around that I'd like to submit for the record, you know? And I don't like keep songs laying around. Like if they don't make it on a record, they get killed. You know what I mean? I'm pretty strict, pretty Nazi about my songs, you know? And, um, so I wrote these two songs and I sent it to this guy and he never wrote me back. And then George Jones died. And I asked his widow, was this guy for real? Like, and she was like, I don't even know who you're talking about. Like, it was like a total lie, you know? So I had these two songs that I had written for him. And at the same time, um, I guess when that Daft Punk record came out, uh, Random Access Memories, I bought it. I wasn't like, I remember Daft Punk from the 90s, from like when I was like the Chemical Brothers era of music and stuff and Prodigy and all that was happening. I was a big MTV kid, you know, I'm 36. So like that was huge for me, all of the MTV years. And um, I knew of Giorgio's music and stuff, but I bought that Daft Punk record because of a Paul Williams was on it. And, and he wrote like all the songs for the Muppet movies. And I'm again, like a big 80s, 90s, like kid of all of that so like the rainbow connection and stuff like when my daughter was born i used to sing her that song when i was putting her to sleep at night and stuff and like to me paul williams was huge so when i saw that daft punk record i was like paul williams is on this it can't be the same one it's gotta be some like shitty dj or something you know <laughs> and i listened to it and it was him and, and the record was really good it was just really a creative force and that Giorgio by Maroder's song was on there and i and I had remembered like his name hitting me over time over the years, but I didn't pay attention to like that dude. You know what I mean? It, like uh, it, there were, well, so I hear that record and I, and I, I just kind of dug, it wasn't that I loved that song on the record so much, but I loved what he said about music. It was really interesting, you know, about like letting, letting go of like when, once you realize that you don't have to do songs the way that, songs are now you realize you can do anything you want you know so that was like really fascinating to me so i like started doing research on this dude and and it and it piled up 
all the shit that I had loved as a kid. I mean, from the Neverending Story to like, I, I listened to Art Bell all the time when I was a kid growing up and on the radio and then George Norrie. And the song that starts that out is, is Chase by Giorgio Moroder from the Midnight Express soundtrack. And then he did the Cat People soundtrack. And he, like all of a sudden, like it, all this stuff made sense to me about um, music at that era in the 80s. Like a good example of this is like, I remember being like five when um, Beverly Hills Cop came out yeah. and like I made my mom buy me the tape of the Axel F song because like I thought that was awesome <laughs> but like if you look at that that was all people imitating the success that Giorgio had had when he brought in this kind of synthesizer-y like, like he defined the sound of the 80s and, and it, was, it was something that I had just dismissed as the sound of the 80s I didn't realize it was like one dude influencing all of it and like like Fletch and you know these kind of movies that had these digital soundtracks to like detective movies like it was all from that dude you know so it just kind of hit me really hard and this was 2012 13 or whenever that was that, that album came out and I just really dug and kind of went crazy over it and I started like listening to his solo records and I ran across the record uh, From Here to Eternity, which had I'm Left, You're Right, She's Gone, and had From Here to Eternity, and Los Angeles, and some of these other songs. And my initial idea was, here I had these two George Jones songs. I said, why don't we do, we, we, me and John, Colonel John, had started a record label. So I was like, let's do a seven inch of George and a seven inch of Giorgio. Like, those two things sounded like fun to me. And at the time, we had a different distribution deal than we have now. We have a great one now, so like we can really put out our shit and do it. But we had a different company, and they were like not interested in us doing seven inches. So they were like, and we're not really. They were also not very interested in the Giorgio idea. They were just like, do the George Jones thing and just run with that, you know. And so for me, I was like, I'm like stubborn as shit. And so like when that came down the pipe, I was like. The only way I'm going to do, like, I still wanted to do the George and Giorgio. So my idea was the only way I'm going to do the George record is if I do the George record and make it sound like a Giorgio record. And then I do the Giorgio record and make it sound like a George record. Like, I was trying to do, like, live fiddle instruments all on the Giorgio one and do all synthesizers doing the music on the George one. So I did that. And, you know, like, it was supposed to be two EP. They made me expand the George one so it became an EP. So I was going to do a Giorgio EP, you know. But then the further I dug, and then we, when we were like, we were put the George one out, and I had pretty good reaction stuff. They were like, we want you to do the, you know, do something else. And we were like, well, we got this Giorgio record. And they're like, ah, we don't know that anybody's going to really care about that, you know? And, and so I was like, fuck, fuck that. Like, fuck these guys, you know? And, and we kind of ended up splitting ways, and John and me were still adamant about doing this Giorgio right he knew and I and, and when I went in to record the George songs I recorded one Giorgio song that was I'm left you're right she's gone and we knew when we did that it was going to be cool because it, it wasn't like an EDM record it sounded more like Queens of the Stone Age mixed with fiddle you know but just like interpreting these songs and I was like I knew if I could just do that it would be cool so we we um, we we after we split with them, we found a new partner and everything. The first thing we went after was that, that Giorgio record, and it ended up taking a year and a half. And I was like, I can't fit this on. It'll be two songs if I fit it on an EP, so like, we got to make it a full record. And I knew that like, for me, as an artist, like, it would be really weird. It, it, like, people are going to be like, it's weird and everything like that. But I knew I could take this music of his and really make a record that maybe made people think you know, about the boundaries of music and the... And, 
and all that. And I and I think I I think I felt like um, it, if anything, in a way, it was like something that I knew I could do and get behind big time that maybe not a lot of people could do. You know, it was really truthful to who I was. So that became like our torch. Like we carried it for like a year after that, making this record. And then John died, which was terrible. And he's, he was my best friend and my partner. And, you know, I knew at the minute, and that's when Adam came in, became my manager. Cause he was like John's protege. Like when we were on the road, we met in this weird way. And we just, you know what, Adam, come on and help me run BCR, manage me. And we're going to put this fucking Georgia record out. And yeah, see what people think, you know, but we were able to take it in so many weird different directions that have so many cool people involved in it that, that really it didn't matter what, what like the media thought or like what, I mean, the media actually jumped all over it. It was like really more like, like people who, people who, who saw posts about it, who didn't listen to it would be like, fuck you, you, you know, you should be banned from outlaw country forever. You know, but then people who did listen to it got like that it wasn't like that far from other records that I've done. It was yeah. my interpretation of it and it worked, you know, so that's kind of that. Yeah, someone actually, yeah, someone said that I should be banned from Outlaw Country. And I was like, I was like, all right, I, was like, I hope they do it. I answered the guy back. I was like, I hope they do it. I hope like two huge bikers in David Alco t shirts come and take my Outlaw Country card, you know. And I hope Manson's there and they take his goth card too. <laughs> Well, if that's happening, that means you are outlaw, you know, if they're trying to, right. you know? Yeah, I mean, terminology-wise, outlaw yeah. is so weird. Exactly. It's like, I, I hate that because I, t I tell you why, I think I've come to terms with why I hate it so much. It's not really like the word outlaw or being like thrown in categories. It's that like what they're describing is what Bob Dylan and Prince did and David Bowie did, you know? And I'm like, I, I'm trying to do that. I'm not trying to like be outlaw. I'm not trying to like... Like, like, be tough. It's just want to just do. I want to expand and expand and expand and expand till it's over, you know? Yeah. Like, so to me, that was like, I loved the idea. We loved it. The idea of just putting out something that would challenge people and they have no idea who this guy is. But maybe, maybe somewhere out there, there's a guy who likes him and hears that and is influenced by, you know, like, trying to reach weird far corners of the world but at the same time like you know the best things come from that i found yeah well it was like uh you know i i read about i read about it and so i kind of knew and then when i heard it uh, i was like i got it because you know i mean we came up in that same era so it yeah made me think all the movies and all the, the 80s and all the 90s and, yeah man you know especially the never-ending story and it's like that's Dude, I mean, that's the best. I was so excited <laughs> to put that song on my album because, yeah. like, you know, I mean, there's a high potential for failure and cheesiness there. There's like a lot of reasons why, like, if like, you know, Toby Keith put the Everything Story on his record, it would not be like the right thing, you know. <laughs> but what what I loved is, I mean, a there's a side of it where like the fans who truly know me and the fans who grew up on He Man and and like I talk about that shit and like computer games and like you know Nintendo, like I'm crazy over old shit so those guys are gonna get it but my kids who my daughter's eight my son's five they've seen the never ending story and then when their dad has an album that's like got the never ending story on it they're like man that's crazy and like i imagine at some point in their lives when they have children that their children will be digging through their grandfather's shit and find hear the never ending story for the first time man you know yeah. it's like that what is that you know <laughs> and <awesome>. it's <laughs> that movie you know so well the album cover is one of the best album covers I've ever seen 
Thank you. That's Rocky Davies, man. I, 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 I watch, uh, there's a couple little blogs that I keep up on, and one of them's called Geekology. And, and this, um, this guy, Rocky Davies, they, they did a little piece on him. He made a bu- bunch of posters um, of like uh, comic book villains, like the Joker or like di- different ones, and made them look like 80s posters, like pizzas and lightning bolts and something you'd see in a skating rink, you know, like kind, of, kind of neon. And I saw it, and I remember I was on the road, and, and John, the Colonel John, was, I was like, dude. Look at this guy's art. I was like, this guy's got to do the cover, man. And I reached out to him, and I kind of like, yeah, I barely had any music done, and I sent it to him, and he he rolled back with that shot, or that picture, and I'm like, ah, oh, <laughs> we nailed it on that one, this guy. So that's Rocky Davies, man. He's nice. a badass. Nice. <laughs> well, you mentioned Marilyn Manson earlier. Did you know him before? He I was did. On album, I did. You? I got to. I met him. Um, I met him. I guess the end of. Uh, middle of 2014 about we became friends and and it was one of those things where like when like he was huge for me like senior year was when Antichrist Superstar was out and and I was not cool and I was like we could drive to school and I was like listening to that record all the time you know and had friends like but he was like my John Lennon you know he was the guy who was saying like even though those asshole jocks in school like might pick on you like it's cool they they suck you know that was his message which most people didn't get you know but um but we became friends dude i met him and i was like you know like there's very little people maybe resner or somebody else that i would be so fanboy around at first you know and and he had actually heard a couple songs of mine that he liked and he had them on this this playlist because of that show sons of anarchy like that dude who runs that show liked that black ribbons album that i did and and put this song all this could be yours in that show and manson heard that and had been listening to that song so when i met him he actually knew songs of mine and he was like showing me where he like ripped me off on his new album like he's like i stole this from all this could be yours or whatever and it, it was so surreal, dude. And when then we became fast friends, dude. We'd hang out all the time. Like, he was the kind of guy that, like, if I wanted something from him, I wouldn't, I'm not that kind of guy, but if, if I said, hey, dude, come over and drink some Coors Light and, like, smoke weed with me and watch TV, he'd, like, fucking come over. Like, he became, like, I'm a first rock star that I'd ever met in my life that I became, like, actual friends yeah. with. Like, he remembered what I said and, you know, cared, like, would bring us, like, he gave me a gun. As a present one time, he gave me a little, like a total, like a tiny, tiny Derringer uh, five shot 22 pistol one time. And so I gave him a Scientology e meter that I bought on this like black market for him. <laughs> like, you know, not kind of a friend. Like, he's weird in the sense that, like, as a fan, like, it's hard to still acknowledge it, but he's like everything you could want out of Marilyn Manson if you like everything you hope he would be when he's 45 or wherever he is like he is that it's like fucking being friends with Dracula from the movie <laughs> do you know what I mean but he but he's the real deal a real he's a, he listens he's a good guy and he's a good friend and he you know it's like in that way I I, I was just kind of blown away so just to get him to sing on it was yeah. awesome well I know uh Dave Cobbs produced most of your albums, and then so what was your kind of word that your decision to go in self-producing? Yeah, well, Dave and I are still really good friends. I mean, like, uh, 
we're actually working on like a TV show together now and stuff. We, like we kind of don't really do too much music together. Although he'll call me, like for his Southern Family record, he called me and he's like, "I need you to write a song." And the weird thing about Dave is that like anybody else asked me to write a song, I, I I'm like, ah, and I can't really rise to the occasion. But Dave has a way of doing that. Like sometimes he'll be working with a band and just say like, "I need a song that's kind of like." Give me three steps. We write one. I'll be like, I don't know. And then by the end of the day, I'll have one. You know. But he has that ability. But we're working on a TV show right now, which is totally weird. But um, that was weird because we did, you know, the first three records. We did Wailing Forever. We uh, we did Black Ribbons, and then it was kind of weird and natural because he was moving to Nashville, and I was about to go to New York for a period of time. And I knew that the only way for us to do a record would be to either fly around, whatever. And I just was like, hey, man, I think I'm going to try this. But I also wanted to get into producing other people. And I just started doing that, you know. And I learned a lot from Dave. But that's like my passion more than playing or anything. Like being in the studio and yeah. making something new and working with an artist or, work, you know, doing my is like so important, you know. But a lot of the lessons that I learned came from Dave. So it was kind of a natural decision. I think at first it was like a little bit like shock, like breaking out with somebody, you know. But but he and I pretty quickly circled back around each other, and and I've just always kind of stayed in touch. He he's just a, a redneck. I mean, that was really the end of the story. He's from Atlanta, and he liked glam rock just like me, and all this shit, this other shit. But in his core was a real hillbilly, and we would just get in the room talk about He Man and Dukes of Hazard, and you know. It was easy. Well, uh, you know, he's he's done guys like uh, Sturgill and Chris. Yeah, Stacey, do you think he's that's gonna, is that is that you think that's helping? Uh, you know, oh, absolutely, steer the right direction. Absolutely. I mean, the Stapleton thing <clears throat> is all over a win. Yeah. I mean, besides it going like, mold, like platinum, and then being on the charts, and then Grammys and ACM awards and all that. I mean, I mean, it's literally all that. It's like that media bullshit. Like all all the Grammy stuff is, you know, it's important and it's it's awesome to have one, but it's all media bullshit. So like if the media and the system of selling decides that Chris Stapleton sells more than Luke Bryan, then the system switches gears and like we're going to probably see a lot of that kind of copycat thing. But it's awesome because guys like me and Jamie and a ton of other artists have been just cracking at that wall, hitting chips at the wall, and it was Chris Stable that was able to crack through, you know. And so to me, it looked—it's like the Wild West again. It's like you know, I mean, I don't—I don't necessarily think like I'm going to become rich from this, but I think that at the end of the day, like people are actually going to start changing where how they listen, and the radio is going to change. And, and or, I mean, not the radio really matters at all because all those people don't have any radio. But yeah. but I think people are. The sheeples are like kind of like they have to be guided in a direction, and I think it's nice to to know that it's it's going the right way, you know. And, it, and I think I think endurance in music is really important. So it's like if you're an artist like Jamie, for example, or myself, or other people, like the important thing to do is just keep doing it, keep evolving, because when that does happen, when that moment shines over in this area, you know. If you're just sitting on your ass waiting for somebody to give you attention and you're not ready to go, that's one thing. But if you're on 
like, okay, it's my time for you to look at me. Check it out. I'm doing Giorgio record. Or I'm doing this or I'm doing, you know, and check it out. Like, like fucking Jamie's over here doing, like me and Jamie and Twiggy from Mance's band did this uh, You Are My Sunshine thing together. It was just so out there. And we own it all, man. It's like <laughs> we, we would just put it out and we make money for our kids, like on the side, just putting it out, you know. <laughs> so owning it at this moment. If those artists own their shit right now, and that light shines over there, it means that all those guys are going to get a little bump of, like, love from Chris Stapleton's success and stuff like that, and that's what we all can hope for, because it means they'll stay in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of the bad stuff, did you get any feedback or reaction from any of the... Anybody about Outlaw? Not announced. Nobody said a (laughs) word to me. (laughs) acted like it didn't happen. Okay. But then the the ones who knew that the one, the, but I will tell you this: the one people in the in the in the genre that knew that it wasn't pointed at them acknowledged it. But like they'd be like, "Man, I heard that." So like Dirks Bentley was like, "I heard Outlaw You, I like that jam." Yeah, because you know, he's like he, he's like, <laughs> you know. But I mean, Dirks is good, man. He's yeah. he's a really nice guy and stuff. But but yeah, I mean, I went, you know, and I was I was uh, vaguely aiming at, at certain people, and mm-hmm. and if you know what's going on, you can kind of figure it out or not. But the whole the point of this, it was a history lesson of a song more than it was. And, but I mean, that came about from me being in a barbecue store waiting on my food, and some some pop country song came on. I said, "Wouldn't it be funny to have a song that sounded like this song, but it made fun of these songs?" Like <laughs> that was kind of yeah, that came about, you know. Yeah. I've heard you're a big Axl Rose fan. Yeah, man. I'm always Team Axel. I always am. What's your thoughts on the ACDC thing? I, I love it. I mean, I mean, okay. Not in this lifetime. I'm not getting together with Guns N' Roses ever. Yeah. He gets together with Guns N' Roses. Slam dunks, like, the first show at the Troubadour. Breaks his leg. Has a person wheel him out in a wheelchair every night for the first show's back. He's in a throne in the wheelchair doing his thing, killing it. And then announces he's also going to sing for ACDC. <laughs> I mean, in my opinion, that is like the coolest Phil Spectory like insanity thing he could possibly do. And he's got a great voice, and he's going to kill. I'm going to see. I've already bought tickets to a GNR show in in DC, but I am going to get tickets to an ACDC show and see that because there's no way I'm going to miss it. I mean, in what a way to disappear for a while and everybody be like, oh, he's Cornrow Axel with the fucking you know, Chinese democracy, which I liked. Yeah. Most yeah, I people loved. didn't, but I loved it. I was all about it. And to like come back, do the comeback, and at the same time be like, you know what? Fuck it. I don't have enough going on. I'm going to do the ACDC tour yeah. too. And yeah, then yeah. all of a sudden ACDC is like, it's all over the fucking place. You know what I mean? And it all happened at the same time. It's so brilliant. Crazy. Like, if I was in his position, I would do exactly the same fucking thing. Wheelchair, ACDC, the whole thing. I I just hope I can be there one day. Yeah. yeah you know? <laughs> when he was on Kimmel, he said something so funny that I love, and I repeat all the time, but he was on Kimmel when he did that, right when he had that comeback Vegas tour with the pre, like the... It was not Buckethead. It was after Buckethead. I saw the Buckethead show. I never saw this show, but he had that show in Vegas. He did the Kimmel thing, and he was talking about Halloween. He said his favorite thing about Halloween was that he had kids come to his house. He has a Halloween tree. It's like an orange and black tree with like presents under it and stuff. That people kids would come trick or treat his house and open the door and he'd say, you know, Happy Halloween. They say, What's that? And he'd say, That's a Halloween tree. He'd say, I don't have a Halloween tree. He goes, I guess your parents don't love you then. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? It's like utter, utter destruction. The path of debris is what's important. Look at Bob Dylan. Look at Prince. Look at what they did. That's a Bowie, you know. I'd heard that you were offered an audition. I didn't know. Well, I got slayed. No, I got slayed on this in the media one time because basically what happened is I had this band, Stargun, in LA. And I, uh, I, we were playing. I mean, I was 22 years old, man. You know, like I, I moved there when I was 20 and we'd been trying to do our grind in LA and we'd had some local okay success and stuff, but like we got I got to meet I met Matt Swarm really early on I got to meet Duff and then there was this show that was going to happen at a place called Club Vodka and Duff was headlining his band Loaded was going to headline so Stargun was opening for, for Duff and then like two days for the show my manager at the time got a call he said that like they want to do three songs with uh, it was supposed to be Slash and the guitar and Keith Nelson, the guitar player from Buck Cherry and and Matt Sorum, and wanted to know if I'd sing for it, you know. And I was like, my dad had just died like three or four months right before this, and I mean, I was like, what, you know, like, and I did it, and we did this show, and I and I I opened, and then at the end of our show, like fucking Slash, but it what Keith couldn't do it, it ended up being Dave Kushner. That was the first time that they'd really met him. And, and he ended up joining Val Revolver. So we did the show. I did three songs. Then we did another show in uh, in uh, it's Sundance. And then I got an email from someone I'd never heard of in my life that said, hey, that was awesome with you and Slash and Matt and those guys. Would you mind coming down and maybe jam some tunes? And like, I have no idea who this person is. I don't think it's real. So I'm like, oh, I don't know, man. I got my band, you know, it's cool. We're just hanging, like, but I'd love to like jam, try something, and then never heard anything else again. And then, uh, like, Velvet Revolver happened, and then Matt Sorum, I saw him again, and he was like making fun of me. You wanted to go solo, and I'm like, well, I mean, I, I did. I mean, you, know, I, you didn't email me. Somebody else did that I've never heard of email, you know. And then, at another point, they after after Scott was out, they sent me a track. They said, like, we'll, we'll give you an audition. Like, here's a track. Like, make up some shit. And I, I did, and it was bad. I was like, I can't. I, I'm not good. And I, like, I'm not. I mean, I mean, like, to sing high and stuff in moments, like, it was just, it, it wasn't right for me, you know? But it wasn't like, like, I'm, I'm better than this. It was like, literally, like, the song that I wrote sucks. And I sent it to them, and I got no response. And I was like, ah. I knew I did bad on this, you know? And then so, like, I did this interview with um, Classic Rock Magazine. It was supposed to be about Black Ribbons because we were just doing anything to promote that record. It was my first record off of the major, and it, and I loved it, and, it, you know, it was real heavy. I had Stephen King on it and all this shit. And, like, they asked me, they get in this interview, and the first thing they asked me about is that, and I kind of tell the story, but I guess the way I portrayed the story was that, like, I... I turned it down, like, just flat out, like, I I'm not doing that, you know, twice. So then they, like, ran an article that was, like, Shooter shoots down a Velvet Revolver twi twice, and I was, like, and they all got mad at me. It was, like, a whole thing. Like, I don't think Slash is still cool with me. Like, Duff, I think, got over it. Matt and I have always been cool, but but I don't think 
I remember seeing Slash, and he was like, nah, it just fucking sucks. And I'm like, man. I mean, like, tra- talk about, like, that moment as a kid, like, Dewey Cox moment of ruining everything. <laughs> like, I munson that situation, if you, you know, Kingpin. But, like, they, I mean, it was like that, you know? And I was like, oh, my God. I mean, not only is, like, did I put them down in the press and people got they, the way they took it like it was it was a mess and they just they were mad at me and I was like it was the most it was the most proud moment in my life and then the most shameful moment and I bookended about two years you know <laughs> but but you know that's how it is but those guys are really good guys man I mean Matt has always been so good to me Duff too and Slash is a good guy you know so and Dave Kushner and I have known each other 16 years I just played a thing in his house the other day Adam was there for it like a fundraiser for my kid's school and stuff. So it's like, I stay in touch with those guys. I mean, I've been in L.A. 16 years, you know, at this point. Like, I'm almost more L.A. than I am in Nashville. So, but. Well, with these, uh, just had this Hank, Hank Sr. movie come out, and there was the Cash yeah. movie a while back. Yeah, I was in the Cash movie. I, uh, I haven't seen the Hank Williams movie. We are doing. We are working on a Whalen movie. There's a oh, there like, be yeah. I mean, it's been like three or four years in the making. There was a guy who was brought about to me, uh, a scriptwriter, and he wrote this outline that I loved, man. And it wasn't, you know, Dewey Cox like that movie, Walk Hard. It like now you're not allowed to do movies that are like that. And I think that's what's wrong with the Hank Williams movie, which I have not seen, but I think it was still the Dewey Cox formula of the thing. You know what I mean? You're like, I think I want me some of that cocaine, you know? <laughs> um, so, like, with the uh, with the Whalen movie, like, I really wanted to set out to do something that was representative of what was important to him, which was really the music, not have some guy up there. He didn't want somebody singing him on stage, like a lot of footage of like some guy pretending to sing his shit. So I've been really protective. Like that one entity in my dad's thing, like a lot of people handle different things, but the movie thing, I've been really um, protective of her. And the guy who wrote this, I just got the script from him recently, uh, in the last week or so. And man, it's great. It's great, and it's just, it's what we want it to be. So uh, hopefully that will go into production soon. But we'll wait if, if it takes time, because we're, I'm much more interested in doing a movie like The Doors movie than I am doing something like Walk the Line on him, you know. It really it takes it to a, a place of a period of time and, and tracing that, so, you know. Is there an actor in mind or anything? Or no, I don't him? have one in mind, but I'll tell you, I, there's some I would like. There's a lot of guys I would like. I'd love it. Like a guy like, I think a guy like Michael Shannon could pull it off. He, he's, yeah. he doesn't necessarily look as much like him, but like the, it, there's a certain kind of a, certain kind of a manliness yeah. that's natural that needs to come across. Like, you know, like doesn't well, need to be trying to be tough because yeah, he wasn't guy, that way. And that guy can do anything. Yeah, yeah. So, somebody of that caliber <laughs> that can... That can naturally be a man and not have to be tough to play it. Because the last thing I would want is some tough guy who looks like you know a wrestler or something rocking in and doing their thing. Like it's got to be good. And you don't want some guy who's like kind of normally feminine or, or or versatile in that area that, that that comes across as trying to be tough. Like that that will ruin the whole thing. Because the humor. And one thing, man. I mean, I thought Joaquin was great, but one thing that I think a lot of people miss in the history is the comedic thing, man. Like, my dad and Johnny Cash and those guys were really funny. And, like, with children, they were, like, really 
funny and goofy, and they had a goofy sense of humor to them that diffused the intimidation that they had naturally. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's really important in telling that story with him. So the kind of actor, he's got to be able to kind of diffuse the natural manliness. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cool, man. Well, I think he wants to wrap this up. So. Oh, yeah, yeah thank appreciate you. your time, man. Thank you. Of course, it was fun yeah. talking with you guys, Definitely. man. I'm sorry you had to wait till after. Oh, no, no problem. I've actually got a mutual friend, Barry Bison. Are you yeah. fucking kidding me? There you go, Shooter Jennings, right here on the Thunder Underground podcast. It was a privilege, it was an honor. He was an awesome guy, cool as hell to us. Oh, yeah. We uh, would love to thank Craig Campbell with Campbell Entertainment Group for setting that up for us. Thank Adam Barnes. Shooter's manager for his help. It was a big help. He was a great guy to meet as well. And of course, thank Shooter himself for taking the time working that out. Brought us in after the show, after things didn't work out before the show. And for some reason, he kept apologizing to us, even though he didn't need to. Oh, yeah, definitely. We, were, we, we would have waited longer if we needed to. Oh, yeah, hands down. <laughs> and, you know, just it was, it was one for the ages, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, and just, uh, again, super grateful and. Uh, Shooter's such a just a natural, down to earth guy. It was uh, it was awesome. Yeah, and uh, I'm glad to know that people that I look up to and love musically also love Chinese democracy. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, once again, like we said earlier, thethunderunderground.com is our website. We've got 56 previous podcasts on there. We've got stuff from. Guys in Overkill, Down, Crowbar, Warrant, Sons of Texas, Europe, Caroline Spine, Battlecross. The list is endless. Well, yeah, it's not endless. It's 56 long. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Street Dogs, Dark Buster. Yeah. Yeah, we've got, uh, we've got all kinds of stuff. Yep. And you can find us on Facebook at The Throne Underground. You can find us on Twitter at T-H-N-D-R-U-N-D-R-Ground. You can find us on YouTube at The Thunder Underground, Instagram at The Thunder Underground, and Periscope is The Thunder Underground, or no, just Thunder Underground, sorry, one word. And then all the podcasts are on soundcloud.com backslash thunder-underground, as well as the website. We've got several interviews now in the bag. Yeah. After this, we've got one coming up with Chad Malone who's in the band Senior Fellows out of Tulsa. They're embarking on a Northeast tour where they're hitting like 10 cities, including like New York and Philly and Chicago and everywhere. They're starting that Friday, right? Yeah. They said they leave Friday. Yeah, they're leaving this Friday, so hopefully we'll have that up before that. And then we've got one with William Fish, who's the former drummer for Framing the Ray. <clears throat> he also has a solo album coming out, and that's a cool one. And then we got one with... Kyle Gunther, the singer for Battlecross, who was on our podcast way back in the, like you say, our formative teen years. Exactly. I think it was episode 17. And he was cool enough to do it again, so that'll be yeah. coming up. Yeah, looking at, up to or looking forward to those three as well as whatever else we got lined up. I'm sure we'll have some more where we just talk. We've got several of those if you want to look back, if you just enjoy two music geeks rambling about Steve Vai and Anthrax and... <laughs> Guns N' Roses. There Merle you go. Merle Haggard. Yeah, Merle Haggard and Metallica. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, anything else you want to say? Ah, thanks for listening and uh, tell all your friends about us. Yeah. Share the stuff. Like it. Follow all our stuff. We'd appreciate it. And send us an email at thethunderunderground at gmail.com if you've got any music. 
you want us to play or review or check out, or if you just got any comments, or if you want to buy a koozie, two bucks. There you go. Till next time. Thunder Underground, y'all.